This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street. From race to adventure, custom to naked, look no further than Renthal Street for handlebars, clip-ons, chains, and sprockets. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street. Check out Renthal.com for handlebar mounts, chains, sprockets and lots of other parts for your bike. On today's Paddock Pass podcast, myself, Steve English and Gordon Ritchie are going to be looking back at the UK round of World SBK at Donington Park. And Gordo, it might be in England, but it's as close to a home round as me and you are going to get. So uh, Donington Park always a little bit special for us. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun enough. The place I first started watching motorbike racing live, as it were. I used to go to Donington before I ever went to Knock Hill when I was younger, which sounds weird, but it's true. Um, and I always feel at home there. I've got literally got family around the corner. Um, you know, it's quite weird the connections I've got with that place. But the tra- the racetrack's magnificent. We forget how good a racetrack is at Donington. It's an amazing spectator venue. You know, I've been there as a spectator loads of times in the past. It's fantastic whether you want to get as close as you'll get any racetrack in the world at the Melbourne Loop or you want to stand at either side of the, the sweep down the hill. It's just, you can see so much of the track or you get really close to the track. Either of those things is good, especially nowadays when it, most racetracks are miles away. Yeah, as you well know, Gordo, I had a big group over with me and they sat up on the bank at Redgate, they came down into the paddock, they laughed at the paddock show concert. They thought uh, it was overall a great weekend, that there's a lot going on at Donington for fans and we had good racing as well. Like If you think to the Super Bowl race, it's the race of the season so far, the first time this year where we've had Razgiri Oglu, Bautista, Ray all fighting it out with each other and... Top Rack managed to pick up a race win, so let's kick off our Donington review right there and then, Gordo. What's the bigger story for you? Top Rack picking up a race win, Bautista winning two races, or Ray being a bit more competitive for this weekend? Two podiums out of three, three top four finishes. Um, I think the biggest story for the year is Bautista winning two races because Donington's not his track, and he's now made it his track. When people start winning at the racetracks that they never did before, or didn't, it was difficult for them before, um, or it's not great for their bike historically, um, then you know something else has happened. So I think that's the most significant thing. We knew Top Rack with half a chance would 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 take a race win, and we know that Johnny's again. Do- Johnny used to own Donington, so it was possible. If it was possible, it was going to be possible there, and he could have won. And you know, if the race was called a, a, a lap earlier, he would have won. So well, a lap and a half, he would have won it. So yeah, all very interesting. What those choose your own pick, whatever's most uh, meaningful to you. Let's go straight in with Bautista. You mentioned there that this is one of the tracks where he wasn't expected to win. He's led, I think it's nearly 240 laps so far this year. He'd come into Donington winning 14 of 15 races. The only race he didn't win was after the crash in Indonesia. He's been in the top three spots through races for all but one lap this season. And that was the first lap in Aston after he had a grid penalty. So coming into Donington, I kind of felt that the narrative that this was going to be the really tough weekend from this was going to be one where, you know, it's going to be a struggle for him and Ducati. It all seemed a little bit overblown. And then as we went through the weekend, we saw what he could do, particularly on the, the first race on Saturday. Yes, um, I kind of did expect him to do well at Donington. I did think he would win. Um, I didn't know if he was going to win all three or whatever. But um, the evidence we've seen so far pointed to that. But it's the first of the banana skins, potential banana skins for them. Emily being the next one. Um so yeah, it's. I think it was predictable that he was going to fight for the wins, but I think winning the two big races and having exactly his tires were consumed but not destroyed 
all the signs that the bike's working well, that he's working well, even on really aggressive new tarmac where we had to, all the tyres, all the riders were basically on pretty conservative tyre choices, um, even him, but they still made the best of it. Um, yeah, it, it's it's amazing. And the thing that got me and the thing that got top rack was that even in those short corners, it's the burst out of the corner, it's the drive, it's the electronics, it's the way the bike uses the tyres, it's Batista's use of how he opens the throttle to get the maximum without ruining the tyre, and then takes three, four, five bike lengths out of Top Rack, who's just on it. I mean, he won three races last year, loves Donington, nailing his bike, and he's just, you know, they keep talking about how fast the Ducati is, but Top Rack was kind of shocked in his debrief yesterday. Uh, sorry, Sunday. Yeah, and I thought uh, Johnny as well, whenever you talk to him about the fact that Alvaro is able to use the tyre so effectively without consuming the tyre. And this was one of the big things this weekend. You mentioned about the new asphalt. When BSB raced at Donington a couple of weeks earlier, it was a massive concern for them. They had to use harder tyres all the way through the weekend. We had much cooler track temperatures this year than last year. We had a cold wind blowing across. All the factors that should have meant that the Pirelli tyres struggled and Alvaro was still able to maintain that tyre life so well all the way through races the longer races we just saw really able to use the tyre and set his fast times almost just whenever he won yeah and he was it was the ability to turn it on when he needed to which is a lot of to do with his experience both Ray and Top Rack were very very complimentary about um, Batista this weekend they acknowledge how well he's riding the bike that is the the bottom line is that he's riding the bike perfect and let's not forget as we say probably every podcast the only Ducati rider that's doing that is Batista no one else even the small guys like Rinaldi can't really do it and Bassani's up and down you know he's he's when he's good he's really good but no one else is doing it okay Petrucci got on a podium which I'm sure we'll move on to but um, and that was a great result for him um, and it shows where they're moving on. But, yeah, total mastery of, of the whole setup of the bike, the bike itself, how to use the tyres, having the same crew chief as he's worked with, with Ducati, then Honda, and Ducati again. You know, there's just so much stability there. And the best bike, and the fastest bike, and the most expensive bike, and all those things. But people, other people got that, not, not doing in with it, in the history of World Superbike. Sometimes recent, sometimes far away. You've got to do it, and he's doing it. Yeah, and uh, we sat down with Alvaro for 10 minutes on Thursday as well, Gordo, and lots to pick through from it. He was obviously talking about his MotoGP test that he had at Mizano recently, but also a lot of Superbike content as well. So we're going to play that interview now. So Renthal Street Sessions interview with the reigning World SBK champion, Alvaro Bautista. Alvaro Bautista joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast. And Alvaro, before we get into anything else, obviously the big news was your MotoGP test at Mizano. This is a big talking point for everyone. But for you, how did it feel to jump back onto a GP bike? Yeah, it was uh, really good, no? To uh, to relieve the the feeling with the MotoGP bike, no? Especially the first time I I jump, uh, I felt too much power, <laughs> so I, I I didn't remember the power the MotoGP had, and was crazy because you know when you exit from a corner and you open the gas, it's like a, the power never never finishes, no? And uh, until you break for the next corner. The bike always is pushing, no? Even when you when you are shifting, that seems like a automatic uh, bike. You don't you don't feel the uh, the shifting, no? And it's crazy, no? And, and was was really good. It's what they say. At the beginning was like, a, oh, this power is amazing, no? Then at the end of the second day was like, a, oh, 
maybe with more power I can go faster, no? But uh, yeah, it was fantastic. I, I had a really good feeling with the bike, with the brakes, with the with the power, uh, with the tires, with the frame. So yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to to have the the, the chance to ride to ride again the, uh, the MotoGP. Obviously, before the test, you said that you wanted to see how you would go, and then you would talk about wild cards later in the year. What do you think now? No, well, um, it was like a, a first taste of the MotoGP, no? Um, the feeling was really good, I, better maybe than I expected. So, anyway, I, I had some request uh, to, to Ducati. To, for me to to, my, to adapt the bike to my riding style, no, because uh, I felt a bit uh, big the bike, especially on the seat and fuel tank, and I asked for a smaller uh, seat and fuel tank, and they told me, ah, maybe we can do something, no, and maybe if uh, they can do something, uh, it would be nice try again, no, and make me another test if they want. So at the moment there is nothing uh, on the plans. But, uh, well, I just left the possibility to, to make some modification in the bike for me. And if they want and they, they do, maybe we can try again. Obviously, Gordo's feeling left out now. We haven't talked about superbikes for a few minutes, so let's go back to the day job. <laughs> for you this year, the obvious comparison last year, this year and 2019 is that the mistakes are gone. But for you as a rider, how do you feel now compared to when you first jumped onto a superbike? Well, I feel that uh, I know much better everything. Tires, bike, um, I have more confidence. And especially this season, I felt much better than uh, last season because I felt uh, like, uh, especially uh, in every tracks, when I arrived from Friday, everything is like on the right place, no? I remember last season, in some tracks we arrived, okay, we are strong from Friday, but sometimes we struggle and we have to to take some reference and we went improving the bike setup and the feeling during the weekend. But this season I felt that from the first time I felt strong and fast and from the beginning. So I think this is the main difference because it was like last year we worked a lot, a good base, bike, bike. And this season we start from that base and then it would go improving, no? But uh, I feel, uh, I think it's the, it's the main difference, no? That uh, now I'm, I feel that I start every weekend like in, uh, in, a, in our top performance. And is the bike just simply more consistent than it was in 19 and even last year? Yeah. The bike, the, the, the team, because your crew chief said to me that you, the biggest difference now is that the reason you can do the results compared to other Ducatis is your experience and skill. But experience, experience for everybody. It looks to me like there's no gaps anywhere. The rider, the crew chief, team, the bike, everything. No gaps, no spaces, no, inconsistent. No, no, no. I think uh, everything is right now in, in the right place, no? I feel good on the bike. The the, the team knows me very well. My uh, Julio uh, knows me very well and he knows very well what to do to help me, no? So we don't make uh, like a crazy things, crazy change. The base setup is... Is there? Basically, we are using the same bike from the beginning. No, uh, maybe this uh, new bike is not a big, big different from a last season bike, but uh, they improve or they change the engine character a little bit, 
and definitely it helped me to, to ride the use more the, the potential of the last season. Did they make it more like the MotoGP bike now that you've ridden it or less like the MotoGP bike? Well, it's, it's different. Uh, it's different because I, I thought when I tried this bike uh, at the beginning of the, of the year, I thought it was more similar to, to MotoGP, but when I rode the MotoGP, uh, it was uh, <laughs> different, so you, you cannot do it like a MotoGP because it's different. Also, the way to, that you can use the tires are different because uh, with the Pirelli you can make the tire spin and you have carry, you can carry speed exiting from the corner. No, it's the opposite of the MotoGP. You have to, to take care to don't make too, too much spin because otherwise you never recover the, the grip. No, so it's different. So now I I I feel that. The, Two different bikes, and you you don't, you can know follow one bike to the other. What about from your mindset as well, Alvaro? Now every race you expect to win to keep this pressure. How do you feel? Well, sincerely, I don't I don't feel like uh, I I have to win or I don't expect to win no? every races. Right now, mentality is just try to enjoy the bike. The feeling I have riding is so 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 good, and I, I can do my best. So uh, my mindset is just go there, go go to the track and do my best. For me, I'm not uh, expecting any result. I mean, for me, the result doesn't change my uh, my approach for the races. No, I just try. And I'm I'm really happy to come here because it's, uh, I know it's a difficult track. In the past, maybe. I didn't enjoy in the bike, so I'm looking forward for this weekend because I want to to have the same feedback I had in the in other tracks. No, so but I don't speak about the, to try to win or try to do podium. Just try to 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 give my best and try to enjoy the, the track, this track because it's a track that I love. I love in the past, and I want to to have that that feeling. No. Um, lots of people talk about regulation and how fast the Ducati is and so on but as we know you are the only one who can make the kind of results consistently all the time so there's an Alvaro difference what have you identified what the difference is your teammate Asani any other top Ducati what's the difference well uh, I don't I don't compare a lot the data no with the other rider of Ducati because at the end I try to to work in myself no and as you say no other Ducati rider are faster than me so uh, I, normally I don't compare the, the data no uh, watching from the outside what I can see is that my riding style is a bit different no maybe I pick up a bit earlier the bike and I think where uh, the places where I go a bit faster or I can I can use more the potential of the bike is exiting from the corner on gas because I think it's there I, I can make a turn make some spin but just the necessary to, to make it turn and then go, go straight no <clears throat> so I think watching from the outside is the the big difference that I can I can see with the other Ducati rider I what they say I didn't compare the, the, the data so I don't know if it's true or not but at, at the least on the riding style is the, the biggest difference I can see just to move on as well Alvaro to finish off obviously when you came to Superbikes in 2019 you had to adapt from a GP schedule to a Superbike schedule now there's a lot of GP riders want to make mm-hmm. that change because while we have the three races they now have two races but they have 21 rounds you've got your young family it's very appealing to a rider to come here now yeah for sure this championship is uh, a bit more relaxed and you can enjoy uh, the time out of the races no um but 
at the end we have uh, a lot of races because we have uh, less weekend but uh, more races at the weekend also at the end it's like uh, we concentrate all in in a weekend that is not uh, so easy for a rider no especially on the uh, mental uh, point of view because to to uh, manage three races per week per, per weekend is not easy uh, you have to reset every time after after a race you have to reset no if it's good or result but you have to reset and you have to to think about the next one and it's not easy no um yeah for sure now in MotoGP with 20 races uh, well at the end are 42 races i think are maybe too much no but uh, yeah at the end in the weekend they have they have less stress than, than us no we have more work to do on the weekend but sincerely i prefer this format because this schedule because i like to race no okay practice are good but on the races is where where you can enjoy more the the bike yeah riding the bike is one thing racing it's another but uh, thanks for joining us alvaro okay thank you gordo when we talked to alvaro on thursday he was really relaxed he's been really relaxed all the way through this season he knows what to expect going from round to round imola is going to be a bit of a question mark though for him yeah he just doesn't really like imola it's a bit too old school for him. The walls are quite close in places, even though they're all uh, got air fence and all that all around them. Um, he's not keen on it. Um, he he didn't like it the, the for me the first and only time he went there, um, if I remember correctly. Um, he's still got results, but he's it's this is a place where he might decide. You know what? I'm just going to do the best I can without going fast. He actually said he was going to do that when we started in Donington this maybe this is the weekend I have a little bit of you know I'll go for it when I can but he was fairly combative at Donington and obviously he felt he could be if I think we may see a different situation in Imola if he just doesn't fancy it that much he's got a huge points lead maybe in Imola he won't mind going away with another one and remember we've got another round two weeks after that before we have a kind of longer break so if I was him I'd be in race in championship management mode now even though we're only just gone through the halfway session. Yeah, and obviously in Donington we saw with Toprak that he firmly in the win-now mode. He was able to take the Super Bowl race victory. But for Toprak, I think that probably the biggest surprise the weekend was when Bautista came past him in, in race one. And as Toprak said, even with Toprak, sometimes heavy braking isn't enough to give you a chance to attack back. Yeah, and I think that was a... You know, you could see the, the two big rivals for Bautista, you know a bit affected by it all this weekend, especially Top Rack. He just knew that's it. Well, I've done all I can and I can't win. Um, and you can see why now, to slightly change the subject, um, he's decided, well, I really can't beat this guy in a Yamaha. You know, he, he knows that Batista has beaten, has um, re-signed for next year. So next year might be pretty tough. So either next year is going to be a preparation year inside BMW for the year after, or... We'll see what happens in two years' time. Maybe he'll be able to go somewhere else, depending on the terms of his deal, which is, as far as I'm aware, is a year. And that's kind of interesting as well, Gordo, that for Top Rack to switch to the BMW, because this weekend we saw it for both Kawasaki riders, Lowe's and Ray, saying that they really struggled on the side of the tyre. And one of the bikes that Lowe's commented on, particularly that he was impressed by, was the BMW of Scott Redding. And then Redding came through on Ray at the end of the race as well. That relegated Ray down to fifth position in race two. But everyone's kind of been adamant that there's some elements in that BMW that really do work. And at Donington in particular, the exit from Redgate, Turn 1, in through Hollywood, into the Craner Curves, it really looked like that was a good bike through that section of the track. It There's potential with that package. That bike's got a modern engine. It's got 
really high power and good speed. It's still too peaky, probably. Um, but the biggest issue that they keep talking about with that bike is stability on corner entry uh, and braking in corner entry. That seems fixable when you can change swing arms and many other things. So the electronics is responsible for an awful lot of that now. And unless you get your corner entry correct, you're going to not get your apex right and not get your exit right. So there's three parts of cornering. If you're not getting the first part nailed, you're not going to get the second or the third part nailed. But we could see when you're not braking and then cornering, as you say, down Craner, that BMW with a confident rider on it, it's a different beast. And Reading was making up time like mad. I mean, you know, that was very impressive, not just because of Scott, and he did say that a lot of it was down to his own confidence, but that doesn't matter. You can be confident all you like. If a bike's not capable of doing it, it won't do it. And I think that BMW is capable a lot more. They just need to get it set up properly and or change a couple more things and maybe just get the right way of every aspect of it working together properly. But I've said from the beginning, I mean, I used to argue with Charlie quite a bit when Charlie did this podcast that I think that BMW has got all the stuff it needs. But finding it and keeping it every weekend is obviously the difficult thing. Yeah, we're going to move on to chat about BMW in a little minute as well, Gordo. But just to finish off part one of the podcast, let's just talk a little bit about Ducati because... Bautista was able to win two races, but you mentioned about Rinaldi and Bassani, the inconsistencies for them. Rinaldi had a complete nightmare of a weekend. Obviously, there was the crash at the end with Tom Sykes, but there was first lap incidents in all three races. Rinaldi's future is now a massive question mark. I've been a big defender of him in the past, saying that whether it's a choice between him and Bassani, Rinaldi made the most sense. He's not going to upset the apple cart. He'll be a good number two to Bautista, but you need to get the results as well, and Rinaldi's shown lots of signs that he can get those good results this year. But you look at Assen, you look at Indonesia, you look at the crash with Toprak in Mizano. There's so many needless moments for him that surely at the Aruba IT Ducati team, they have to be thinking, Nicola Bulaga, he's winning lots of races in Supersport. He's on course to win the World Championship. They want to put him onto a Superbike next year. Maybe he's the man that they need to put onto that bike. Yeah, it's now looking like the least risky option. Because if Batista's staying and still motivated and the bike's obviously going to still be good next year, however well Top Rack goes or whatever, the Ducati factory bike is still going to be the bike to be on and, and Batista's going to be on it. So the, who you choose as a second rider is less important next year for next year than any season recently. You know, Bassani, maybe they just don't fancy him. Uh, you know, the way he is, whatever it is, he's, he's maybe they don't fancy him as a factory rider. Um, I would put him on it um, just to see how he is. However, if Bulliga wins as he's doing out the park almost in World Supersport, why would you not promote your own guy from within and then bring another newer, younger, different rider onto the, the Supersport bike and, and start the way the championship should be, promoting through the classes? Um, and Bulliga might do really well. He's, he's a, to me, he had a not very good year last year. He's having a great year this year. Whatever was wrong last year in his head or whatever, it's fixed. Look at what he's doing on that bike. He kind of ticks the boxes for you as well, Gordo, of having that established star superbike rider that can win races and then someone coming up through from the Grand Prix classes, super sport, and then you're able to see alongside someone like Bautista, a known quantity, what they're in. Yeah, and and I think next year they've got the freedom to do that, any of them. I think genuinely it would be a, it's a free year next year for the next rider in, in Ducati. Um, okay, you've always got to think, well, what's the... The second rider, if anything silly happens with the lead rider. But end of the day, it's not like you've got five potential lead riders anymore. You just don't have. So you've got to pick one and then whoever comes behind you. Yamaha's been the same and Kawasaki's been the same. Um, so yeah, who they put on next year is important. 
But it's more important for next year. It's not critical for the championship because if it's not Bautista and they haven't got top ranker Johnny, everybody else is a stage down. It's no disrespect to the other riders in the championship. But everybody else is there. And if they did have to sign someone else next year, they'll be signing them onto the best bike alongside either Bulliger, Bassani, Rinaldi. So, you you know, if they bring in a star rider for half a season or a, a GP refugee or something, they'll be starting with a championship winning bike the fastest bike, etc. All we spoken about earlier. So it just depends on what their plans are. Politically, I think more than anything. Let's talk about the rumours of their plans as well, Gordo. Ian Oney has been talked a lot about his drug ban coming to an end. Where is he going to fit in? Obviously, in the past, he was a factory Ducati rider. It didn't end well after what happened between himself and Davi in Argentina. But there's been a lot of water onto the bridge since then. You wouldn't be too surprised if he ends up on an independent Ducati for next year. Mark VDS and Sam Lowe's is the other rumour to come into the paddock as well. The Ducati stable for next year could be even more stacked than it is at the minute. It would certainly be much more interesting if they make changes across the board except for Batista. It would be awesome. And there's, as we say, Danilo's got a podium now, so there's another potential for a, any team that wants to do well. Um, yeah, Ducati are in, obviously in the box seat, driving away from everybody, MotoGP or Superbike. So... They've got a lot of options of what they can do. Everybody wants to be on that seat. Um, it would be great if they signed Ian Oney. You know, I don't think they will, but if they did, it would be mad, which is always interesting. Um, if Lowe's is on a really good Ducati, there's no reason why he couldn't um, put his experience to work in Superbike. It's, it's been proved you can come from Moto2 as a top rider and compete and win, I mean, win in Supersport, but also compete. Look at Agatha. Yeah, he's up and down, but he's had some pretty good performances. Remy Gardner... Still, to me, needs to learn a bit more about the superbike and has had some pretty bad luck, let's be fair to the guy. Um, but their potential's there. And Ducati's the bike to be on because now it seems to be that, that what they're doing at the factory thing is genuinely seeping through and the base of the privateer bikes is getting stronger, etc. There's never been a smaller difference between the factory stuff and the privateer bikes because of the regulations. But it also benefits Ducati to get people scoring team points. Because if, as we saw, unfortunately, Ronaldo had an accident the weekend, well, someone else picked up the team points for them as a manufacturer. So it's in their interest to, to pack out the grid with as many Ducatis you get. All those teams that are supported are still paying Ducati for the bikes and the parts. So that's now a, a money-generating business. All this investment they're putting in Superbike, we're going back to the, the good old days for Ducati where you just bought two Ducatis and you knew you could be competitive in World Superbike if you had a good... Well, now... You've got all those Ducatis on the grid and possibly more next year. Well, that's a revenue stream for them. They have told us already they have the capacity to put more top-level bikes on the grid if the customers are there. So it's pretty scary for everybody else, but it does open up a, a fantastic stream of potential, not just for Batista, but for the any new rider that might come in on Ducati or be promoted via Ducati. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break on the Paddock Pass podcast now. When we come back, we'll talk about one of those Ducati riders, Danilo Petrucci, with that first podium. Renthal Street, Chain, and Sprockets are perfectly matched for maximum power transfer and efficiency. From racetrack to daily rider, with over 800 fitments, Renthal Street has a final drive solution for almost any bike. Use Renthal.com to find the correct fitment. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street. Steve English and Gordon Ritchie looking back at Donington Park. And Gordo, I mentioned about Petrucci, his first podium. I thought that this weekend was really important. You mentioned earlier about it had been a bit of a bogey track for Ducati. We all expected that Bautista was going to 
break that duck. He was going to have Ducati's first win since 2011 at Donington. But I don't think we really expected Petrucci to be up there. I think it was, what, three top four finishes, three top fives for sure. And for Petrucci, it was a case of really building on what we saw at Misano, where he was able to qualify well. He was able to have a few decent efforts during Don- uh, during Misano, but it didn't quite come to fruition. Here, it was a front row of the grid in the Super Polo session, and then three really good races. You've got to love the guy, you know? I mean, he had, he had some great quotes the weekend. He was brilliant. He was talking about his career growth. His ambition now is to win at least one race in Superbike. He's seen the list of people who raced, who've won a MotoGP race and a Superbike race, and he said there's some great names on it. He's, he is, he's the most left-field guy and his approach to racing, but he's also straight down the middle when it comes... It all makes sense. Yeah, if you were him, you'd think, yeah, why not do the Dakar? I can't race MotoGP anymore. What am I going to do next? I'll do that. I'll do America. I'll do this. He's talking about doing BSB one day as well. He wants to win here, races at least, and then maybe move on to the next thing because obviously he's won Grand Prix races. He's not going to go back there. But his, his attitude's fantastic and as soon as the bike worked and maybe that motivation of the disappointment of nearly getting a podium in Misano and, he, and oh, it didn't happen. You know, maybe that he went away and had a wee walk into the, you know, a, a, a wee dark night of the soul and came back stronger, more focused, whatever he, whatever made the difference at Donington. And he's raced Donington but years ago on a 600 Supersport bike, I think. So, you know what I mean? It's Donington's not easy. It's fast and blind in all those crazy corners down the bottom. If you make one mistake from the first corner till you get out of uh, the old hairpin, you're done. If you make one mistake at Coppice, you're off. You know, it, it's it's really difficult track and he conquered it within the limits of what a privateer Ducati rider could do, probably. Yeah, I thought it was interesting there, Gordo, about if you make one mistake compounded for the next few corners. That's what we saw with the Kawasaki foray. He just didn't have the speed at the end of the race, didn't have the grip. And once he started to come down the hill at Hollywood, it was a relatively easy move for Petrucci to come tr- to come through. But you got to be in that position. Petrucci worked hard all weekend, rode really well. I think everyone wants to have some good results, as it was three top fives. Very good effort by him. Let's talk about th- the three top fives for Jonathan Ray. I thought it was actually quite startling on the grid for race two when Alex Raby, my co-commentator, said... Jonathan Ray trying to get three podiums in a weekend for the first time this season. That used to be something that we took for granted. It used to not even be worth mentioning that Jonathan Ray was on course for three podiums. It was three wins is what you were used to seeing from Ray. Now, you can't take anything for granted with Kawasaki. Yeah, Jonathan was keeping his statistics scoreboard going like a car, going 100 miles an hour. It was just click, click, click. You know, every weekend it was like more numbers, more numbers, more numbers. Now that's much more difficult to do. We all know why. Um, Everybody's getting faster. The Kawasaki is getting a little faster, but it also seems to have lost some things. I had an interesting talk with some of the internal people in Kawasaki at the weekend to get a bit of insight, which I have to save for a story I'm doing later. But um, it's obvious that the bike has been better in some ways and not in other ways. It didn't get the expected improvement, but there has been an improvement. You know, they're, they're just doing things a bit differently. Trouble is, everybody else has moved on. There's more people can do more with more bikes, um, and that's why getting those podiums is, is not a guarantee. Tire duration is their big problem, as you say. Sometimes the front, sometimes the rear. Um, at Donington, it was the rear. Um, and yes, they at the end, both Kawasaki's top riders had great difficulty keeping their pace and lost lost some places as a result of that. 
Even Jonathan, because what Jonathan's great metier, whatever else is, he can A, ride any bike, two great metiers. One, he can ride the bike even if it changes, season to season, during the race, whatever. Um, and the other one was managing the race at the end, even if the bike's tyres were gone. He could always find a way of bringing the performance, keeping the performance at a high level. Well, he can't do that anymore. I, I mean, he is doing it, but other people have got, that have just got more tyre are able to beat him. Um, and, and that's it it's a consequence of more competition it's a consequence of more satellite bikes that are basically the same as factory bikes and it's a consequence of Kawasaki not quite getting what they expected out of this year's bike for him um, I mean some people were talking quite negatively about Johnny at the weekend I don't really get that I mean he obviously still wants to win but when he can't he can't and in the past he would just say oh, I'll sail it up the front and ride better than the other guy well he can't do that you know, it, because he's got the two people we're talking about fighting against in the Super Bowl race, for example, are the other two best riders in the world right now in Superbike. So, you know, and if he doesn't have tyre against the next guys, he doesn't have tyre. You can't do it if you don't have tyre. Yeah, because Gordo, that Super Bowl race, for example, he leads for eight and a half laps, but there was just that sense of inevitability that he was going to be passed. And eventually, once Toprak comes through, Bautista comes through, there's no way to answer it back. We saw it then in race two where... Both Ray and Lowe's were going pretty well for the first half of the race. And then the grip started to go away and they both started to struggle. Redding was able to come through, Petrucci through, and there was no real defence for them. Kawasaki have that struggle. And I thought that's where it was really interesting to hear that uh, Manuel Pichetti was saying that maybe going forward, he'll just reevaluate his race team and look over sport class because he's just hitting his, his head against the wall right now in the superbike class. Well, he is the official super sport class representative for Kawasaki he's the pinnacle of several Kawasaki's on the grid in super sport but he is a kind of supported team in super bike but when the factory bikes are struggling as they are no matter who he puts on that bike there's a limit you know and he can't be putting that amount of uh, resources and so on into super bike and get no results if he puts the resources into super sport and you notice this year he's only got one bike in one real bike in super sport and then he helps out a few other teams and all but Powered by Petri- by um, Pichetti, etc. Um, but yeah, maybe you have to when you realise that this we can't get podiums at this anymore or top fives or whatever. Maybe they just say, okay, we 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 can't do this anymore. And money finance for everybody is not great. He's got a very specific model um, where he's supported, but he also relies a lot on Italian sponsors, local sponsors, um, with his great big hospitality. But he's one super bike and one super sport. He's top super sport rider who won his first race, remember, just before he got injured. You know, made that breakthrough after a couple of years, still 19 years old, all future in front of him is out. Um, and he's super bike rider. You know, the super bike's just not particularly competitive. With Tom Sykes, who, you know, we saw what he could do in flashes on the BMW um, and was on pole in Donington in a BMW, what, a couple of years ago, three years ago, last pole was on a Beamer. I mean, you know, but on a Kawasaki, he was just like, it's just, I can't. I can't ride that. I can't compete on this. And left. So if you were Manuel, you'd have to be considering saying, okay, we're going back to two super sport because that's a championship he knows he, he can do stuff in. Um, and unless he's got top rack on a bike, maybe he can't. He knew he can't do anything super bike anymore. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see what happens when Anchu comes back. Luca Mayas has been replacing him, and Mayas has hasn't looked like the Mayas he had been when he was on the Kawasaki in the fourth class in the past. So hopefully, we see Anchu back soon to give a good indication of where they're stacking up and what he can do as well. Anchu wants to be going forward as well. Maybe that'll be key for Pachetti. But Gordy, you mentioned Tom Sykes. I wanted to move on to BMW anyway, but you've mentioned Tom. And this was all we can do is hope that we're going to see Tom back racing again as at some stage. But ten fractured ribs, a massive crash. He's a replacement rider for Vandermark. 
this could be the last that we see of Tom in World SBK. And it's a shame because this weekend he was actually very competitive. If it wasn't for the yellow flags in this whole session, he could have had pole position. It would have been the biggest story of the weekend if Tom had had pole. And it was so good to see that first three quarters of the lap. He was really up on the lap times and he had a real chance of it. And it ended up qualifies a little bit further down the order. He got into a last lap battle with Scott Redding in race one. He had a crash in the Super Bowl race on the last lap. But Tom genuinely looked as competitive as anyone else in the BMW this weekend. Yeah, I mean, quality lasts. Uh, Tom's got a very cookie riding style, but he's the same in all other riders in that when they know they're capable of doing something like that, they just want to keep going. I mean, Tom's won a world championship, could have won three. He's... He's, he's a legend already. He's such an individual person. He does, he's completely his own person, does his own thing his own way. Lots of people will probably be going, look, mate, you know, enough. You've, you've had your world championship. You're not going to do it again. Um, but racers, end of the day, racers aren't like me, you and those people that think that. They're just not. They they, they, they just don't think that way. They, if they see any potential to keep going, they'll keep going. Um, but yeah, that's another bad injury like he had at Catalonia. Um, you know, we thought that, you know, that was kind of the end then. Um, if he gets a competitive bike and great support, yeah, it would be great to see him continuing. But um, there has to come a point for the riders when they get to, you know, in their 30s and so on. Especially if you've had success, they have to just say, OK, you know what? I'm, if Tom's at that stage, that's fine. The poor guy's in hospital now, really hurting. Don't want to talk any negativity about his future. If he wants to come back and race, everybody should salute that decision. Um, and I like the guy. I mean, he's, he's such his own person. He's a strange person, but he's a strange person in a good way he's a very individualistic people everybody's got an opinion about Tom those that like him those that don't but he's completely his own man and you've got to admire that in every racer you ever meet because there's a lot of kind of identical people sometimes nowadays yeah because Gordon you've always said that World SBK need quirky characters they need people that are that little bit of edge towards being a little bit weird Tom fits the mould for our paddock so much better than he would in the GP paddock Scott Redding's the same Obviously, Reading's future, very much a big question mark. That's where it was great to, again, get a reminder that Scott, when the bike is working well, when it's as it should be, he can get great results. He can find something. The problem for Reading that we've seen since he went to BMW, when the bike isn't working well, you just don't even notice he's there. But once it yeah. worked well on Sunday, yeah. he was right there at the front. And it was a great reminder of what he can do. I don't see how he stays at BMW next year, but I hope he's still on the superbike race. Yeah, it's a straight, well, everybody, everybody in BMW apparently has some kind of option of, poss- or, you know, guarantee to still be there. And then they've added top rack into that. Now, you can, you know, there's, it, where does he go? He's had a change of mentality for that last race and he, he finished top four. Now, that shows he's still got it and it shows the BMW still got it. You have to do that all the time for it to be a viable option to move on. Um, so it's just a great big question about BMW yeah I think one of the things for me that's quite interesting and this is what you hear in the rumour mill around the paddock is that basically Vandermark's contract was all but done before he broke his leg in Aston now whether that was to stay in the factory team or move to Bonovo remains to be seen one of the things that people have said is that he was supposed to go to the Bonovo team 
And then he just said, no, my option was to stay in the factory team. So then Loris Baz, apparently, and his manager saw that Van der Mark was supposed to replace Baz. Baz had an option in his contract that uh, said that he was guaranteed a seat next year, which seems very similar to the option that's in Scott's contract at the minute. So everyone has got an option to stay at BMW, but there's only four seats for these five riders. So given the way that Scott's talked all the way through the season, given the way the results have gone, you'd have to imagine that he's angling to get a bit of a payout from BMW and then go find the seat somewhere else. Yamaha's got a seat available, second best bike on the grid, go there, replace top rack, that has to be top of the list for Scott Redding. A much more all-round competitive bike, week in, week out. He's shown that when he's been on the Ducati, he could win races. He's shown he could be a championship contender. Yamaha don't really have someone they just plug straight onto that bike right now. If they did, they would have made that move already. So you wouldn't be too surprised if that's where Scott's looking to end up. But it could just be the dream rather than the reality. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens when we're back on the podcast in a couple of weeks after Imola. Because... That's when Ducati, BMW and a, and a few other teams are all expected to make their announcement. Yeah, um, I also heard from certain people, um, not inside the manufacturer side of things, but people on the outside, but from a very a country very close to the uh, heart of the Yamaha operations that probably isn't going to be Scott, which was literally, I, I spoke to them on Sunday night, very late. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but if we're talking rumours, that's what I've heard is that the, the, there's been the talks about it all. But Now, I don't think they necessarily know who's going to be on the bike, but I think being a factory Yamaha, they won't have any shortage of what to put on it. The Yamaha conundrum next year is what do they do? If they've lost one of the top three and they know probably they're not going to be able to beat Bautista next year, then silly happen. Then maybe next year's a free year for Yamaha. Maybe this is the year they say, OK, you know what, I'm putting that guy on the bike. Young guy save money or bring somebody over. Obviously, they've been talking about Morbidelli as a possible other riders. Maybe next year's is a is a a free spin of the dice for Yamaha, knowing that the most crucial year is going to be when Batista leaves. We're kind of I spoke a, a, a couple of seasons ago about the post World Superbike, post Jonathan Ray era of World Superbike. People were putting riders on bikes to when Johnny left, as he might have done last year, uh, two years ago, um, or certainly or this year or whatever. Um, who's going to be the, the person to pick it up but then Top Rack came on strong and then Bautista came back to Ducati and so that's changed now but what we might be looking at now for Yamaha is the post Bautista era they're looking at that thing we need to have somebody in play to win a really top rider to win and maybe next year they train him up whoever that rider may be and without Bautista on, on the Ducati if they don't have a really good replacement for him you know as I say all the other Ducati riders aren't doing that much so who, who rides? So I think a lot of people have got a free... As soon as Batista... And I knew this when Batista signed and they did it very early in the year, confirmed they were racing at least next year. I thought that leaves a load of people with even more headaches to do. Then we had the bombshell of Top Rack moving over, which made things even more complicated. But I think that one of the key things that happened just before the weekend that Donington we haven't touched on yet is that Alex re-signed in Kawasaki. That was a potential future bike, future ride, future bike for... And now Alex is staying for at least one more year. So... That's that's a potential block to other riders. Bassani was talked about there and other people. But they wanted stability. And again, partly because they realised that, you know, it's a different world now. They're not... They've already said it's a different game. Um, they can't beat Batista toe-to-toe. So they're going to try and consolidate. Yamaha can gamble or consolidate. Um, and it will be really will be interesting to see who they finally signed. But as far as I say, just a wee birdie told me on Sunday night that Reading was being considered but probably not going to be. 
But I don't know if that's true. There's just someone I hear from. I do always like a Scotsman. But, um, <laughs> Gordo, just to move on to the last factory, Honda, the biggest discipline we've had in World Superbikes this season. It doesn't look like ending at all for them. Donington complete disaster. Yeah, I, I just don't even want to talk about Honda because there's such a... Okay, well, thank you for joining us on the Paddock Pass <laughs> podcast. We'll be back after Imola. What I'm trying to say is, um, I feel a bit sad talking about it because you've got all these people, every single person in that organisation is desperate to succeed. They've made major changes on the bike. Mm. You know, it, it's where's it going? You know, we need to keep Honda in the paddock for the good of World Superbike and the good of Honda because it's not happening for them in MotoGP either. So, just for you, Gordo, let's look at Honda and let's look at it totally objectively. They've got four riders on the grid. MIE and the HRC team seem to run very different bikes. When you look at them, they look like there's lots of lots of subtle differences there in terms of the geometry for the bike, what they're trying to do with it. But they've got four riders. None of them are traditional superbike riders. Lot, like at, at the end of the day, if you look at both HRC riders, they're Moto Two riders. That Iker obviously was a Moto GP rider as well, but they came through Moto Two. When you go to MIE, Eric Granada was. A Moto 2 rider in the CEV class. And then Hafish was a Grand Prix rider as well. If you look at their super sport team. They've got a superbike rider there. They've got Taz McKenzie. Spent, a, spent his whole career winning in super sport and super bikes in Britain. He obviously did half a season in Moto 2 as well. But let's just focus him as a superbike rider. He's got a lot of experience. And he's on the wrong bike. Because surely he could be more use on the superbike to be able to give that feedback we saw obviously for honda that taz is the fourth rider at suzuki went out did some testing for them lekwon and vierge have been confirmed as the suzuki eight hour riders which gives you an indication honda probably want to keep them for next year but for someone like mckenzie he can't spend another year on that mie super sport bike yeah i mean that would be a good plan compared to the two riders they have now no disrespect to them um because you've got the experience, as you say, in Superbike. Okay, BSB and World Superbike is very different. Um, I, I wouldn't expect... If 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 I was Mackenzie, I'd be looking to do that. Because this, the Honda's not very fast in Super Sport. It could have been back to the level. Who knows, you know? I mean, they just stopped because they stopped. They didn't stop because the bike wasn't any good. But that bike is definitely through the speed traps a bit slower and everything. Hard, hard yards he's doing there. The Hondas would be uh, tricky... A word that apparently doesn't translate well in Japan. They don't like tricky. They think it's too strong. But to me, that Honda's got tricky written all over it. Um, but he's got the experience to go, yes, no, yes, no. You know, that's that's the way it should work. That isn't. Um, and a lot of people said that the, the changes that were made to the HRC Honda with all the big changes in geometry. I spoke to a few engineering people in the paddock and they were all a bit kind of like, hmm. Yeah, when Honda came back, everyone was excited. It's a full entry. Everything about its factory but the results just aren't there right now and hopefully we'll start to see something. But at the end of the day, the only light at the end of the tunnel they're seeing is the train hitting them at the minute and you just have to wait for it to hopefully come good for them. But they need to have a big change there somehow to be able to make that change. Gordo, that brings us to an end for our look back at Donington Park. Now, you mentioned about the limits of the regulations in the past, the changes to the rules to help on the that in the past there was always limits very defined in the regulation. There's one limit that's always been well defined at Donington Park, and that's the ter- total number of curries per weekend. So what was your curry count at Donington this year? Oh, one, Steve. Only one, please. Only one. With a certain Irish gentleman in a, in a restaurant stuffed full of paddock people, 
and the, the craziest mine host ever designed. Um, no, I hadn't been to that one before that you took me to, and it was a scream from start to finish. And the food was good and everything else, but it was great. No, McPhee was at one table, all the Eurosport guys, Tosland and all the, the, the all those people were at another table. Um, you know, it was it was fantastic. It was a great experience to kick the weekend off. It's traditional. You're in the, you're in the Britain, you have to have a curry. That's it. It's not a question. That's a national cuisine now. Fish and chips is over. It's curry. It has been for a while. Funny I'd though. Funny I, night, eh? Great night. I I do like Gandhi's down in Castle Donington. Go every year. But uh yeah, the curry count, you need to put a limit on it because it can get a little bit risky at Donington. Yeah, no, no, one have one on Thursday and then recover the rest of the three days. <laughs> the most impressive thing I've ever seen at a racetrack was Marcus Reiderberger in the stock class in 2018. He came out for curry with us on the Saturday night. He, he just went for the spiciest curry he could find. He had three or four pints of Guinness. What did Marcus do? He went out and he won the next day. It was the most impressive thing I saw. All season, righty, <laughs> a belly full of curry, pints of Guinness and going out and winning the races. And that's what you need to do at Donington, apparently. But uh, Gordo, for you, there's a little bit of a gap between now and Imola. We've got a week at home before we go to that. You'll be flat out. Obviously, you've been busy the last week while you had the TT. We've had Donington and uh, you've got a lot of work to catch up on, no doubt. Mate, I still haven't finished my TT story. That's, I know it sounds ridiculous. It's over two weeks since I got back, but it's, it's tr- absolutely true. I've just been other things to do. Family things as well as work things. But now, um, you know, whether it's the books at the end of the year, whether it's the catching up on all the, the stuff for the programmes for the next, uh, the last four races of the year, I'm quite far ahead with the programme, but I need to get most material in to work during the, the summer break. Um, I'm going on holiday to some place called Ireland, which I've heard is quite nice. There's a lot cup for, coming nice up for me, so I need to get my, I need to get, not my finger out, I need to get my fingers flapping on the keyboard a lot more. Um, with hopefully some ideas behind them instead of just flailing at it hopefully I'll, I'll string some thoughts together um, but yeah I'm, I'm actually going to have a very busy next couple of months bizarrely and I've already had a pretty busy last two or three weeks and three races in July you know but here's the most important thing Steve I'm home for my birthday I am home for my birthday which just almost never happens I'm always either travelling I always used to have birthday in Laguna which is great Laguna you know? weekend I was just going to yeah. say it was that was great. I mean, you know, on my fortieth birthday at Laguna, we all hired me and my pals hired my working pals all hired uh, convertibles individually. We didn't get one between us. We got one each, and then we just tooled about for the weekend. The convertible, screaming tires, and you know, going out for beautiful fish dinners on the quay at Monterey and stuff. Um, it was a great way to spend your fortieth birthday. Um, Ten years later, fun enough, uh, my family came out and we had a holiday for my fiftieth birthday, um, and my son's twenty first. So it was. With a great wee time there, um, yeah. If if we're on if we're on the end of a show and MJ's still listening, I want to go back to Laguna. I want to go back to Japan. I want to continue in Asia somewhere wherever we go in Asia. I want to go back to South Africa. I want to maintain Argentina. I want all these. I want the World Championship to go to all the continents. I think it's what we should be doing. Well, Gordo, it's always an interesting question that we get quite a lot. Where do we want to go? I'd love us to go back to to Suzuka. We know Suzuka can host can can host a superbike race. They do the eight hours, the biggest race of the year, motorcycle wise in Japan. I'd love it if we went to Suzuka because MotoGP can't go back. And if the alternative is to go to Motegi, like Suzuka wins hands down. I'd love us to go to Kayalami because superbikes should be used to make sure tracks are ready for GP. Super superbikes could be there to go to Kayalami, make sure it's okay. And then South African fans get to see Brad Binder 
on a MotoGP bike, potentially winning a race at home. I'd love us to go to Brazil. I've only been to Brazil once on a work trip. I'd love to go back there. Everyone always talks about how crazy Rio was for a race. We need to be back in America, but it's just, it's tough to fit the calendar in. Superbikes, 12 rounds, you'd love it to be 13 or 14 a year, because even though this year hasn't been the best racing, you look at what we've had in the last few years, we've had great racing, and you finish the season always wanting a little bit more. This year, 12 rounds, we'll wait and see if we get any more going forward, but uh, you'd definitely love to be able to add a few of those to the list. Also, Gordo, I took my dad to Laguna for his 70th and it wow. was great we had wow. four or five days golf then the weekend at laguna and then flew home as well it was just it was a perfect weekend and at the end of the day gordo you can't really beat a birthday at a racetrack could you um yeah i mean i'd rather be home but it's great when you do have your birthday at a racetrack because everybody everybody notices yeah i've had some great birthdays at laguna and i think i've been away at other places as well over the years i've been i've been doing it a while now i forget stuff I have to be reminded, you know, somebody will go, oh, I remember that. Go, oh, yeah, but it happened 20 years ago. And I was talking to someone about this the weekend, a younger journalist. In fact, they had a group of young journalists, trainee journalists from a local college, I think Derby College. Um, and they were in, they were interviewing some of the, me- the existing media to get some tips and whatever. God knows what I was going to help them with. But one of the things I really, you know, that I really did say to them was to, you know, enjoy every race you go to, keep keep doing it but now one of the big changes from when I started to now in their generation is not just social media it's the fact that I used to memorise a lot more stuff I would sit there with the books almost like being a TV commentator so you get your facts right when you do nowadays because of the advent of the internet and the fact that your memory can be wrong even if it's only wrong every now and again so I would now you can fact check stuff with professional websites and stuff so much easier that I just don't bother carrying as much stuff around as I used to it's just a waste of brain space, of headspace. Well, I'll even point something out from earlier on in the show. Uh, at the at the start of it, I said Johnny Ray had three top fours. He had three top fives, but it was a fifth place in race two. I'm hoping nobody noticed it at the time, but I'll correct myself now, Gordo, just to get it in at the end of the show when hopefully people have stopped listening. But um, for us, Gordo, <laughs> we've obviously got uh, halfway through the season, Imola and Moss at the end of this month, then our summer break, triple header, and then Argentina to finish off. We move into the second half of the year. We get back to Imola. Everyone's going to be excited to go back to Imola. The I think it's the 70th anniversary for the track. That's why we're there this year. And I've always enjoyed going to Imola. It's a track right in the middle of town. You've got so much history at the place. It's just always exciting to go back to. It's one of my top tracks. It's absolutely one of my top tracks. I wish, I am a traditionalist. I wish we went back to Monza. Um, I think we do need to have all the, what I love is a mixture of brand new tracks in strange places and the traditional home of racing places. I never thought we'd go back to Imola. And the general format of Imola is four wheels at Imola, two wheels at Mid. That that local government area stretches over a big area are the ones who ultimately underwrite the race. And that's what they decided a long time ago. But as you say, for different reasons, um, we're going to Imola. And I, I'm very happy. Yes, it, there could always be more runoff and stuff. I'm not, I understand that very, very well. And safety is always my first concern. But now that we are going to Imola, I'm so excited. My, one of my best mates in racing is the press officer there, runs a whole media department. He's already sending me, what do you want for dinner on Thursday night requests, etc. Imola is an experience that has to be done. It has to be done. It's one of those places, if you want to say, what, what foreign races should I go to? Well, in among Assen and everything else, you have to go to. It is Italy, distilled, distilled into one venue. I've always thought, Gordo, that while Mugello is a fantastic track, 
I've never really enjoyed going to Magello. Hotels are hard to find. Everything's a little bit difficult. Difficult. Traffic's bad. Imola's in the middle of a town. Mizano's on the seaside. Imola's probably the little bit of a mix between Mizano and Magello. You've got the ups and downs. You've got a character-filled track. You've got really fast sections, slow sections. You can get in on top of the cra- in in on top of the track in a couple of places. You've got the parks, and then you walk outside the front gates, and you're straight into restaurants, gelato, everything you want in Italy. It's probably the perfect venue for a race in Italy. So I can't wait to get back. I'm probably even more excited that you said one of your best friends in racing is the press officer Gordo, because That's what obviously. I said. I'm That's your I'm your best friend in racing. We're not going to leave any doubt about that. Um, but I'm looking forward, Gordo, to seeing you in, in Imola. And obviously for us, we've got a lot of content on the Paddock Pass podcast coming up. We've got three superbike races this month. So Donington, Imola, Most. So we're going to have a lot of superbike shows and uh, lots of other content as well. So Gordo, thanks for joining us as ever on the Paddock Pass podcast. Absolute pleasure, mate. Love it. And a big thank you to Renthal Street for supporting us on the podcast. Also check out patreon.com forward slash paddockpasspodcast if you want to support the podcast 